it's day 15 on our 40-day journey through the Gospel of John. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Thanks for spreading the word and sharing this podcast with your friends as well. We're in John chapter 7. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, verses 1 to 36. And while we can't hit every detail in these 36 verses, there are some key highlights I want to make sure you don't miss. Stop in the name of the law. That's what my older brother used to say to me when we were kids. This was for a period of time soon after he had been appointed a member of the safety patrol team, the student safety patrol team at our elementary school. He took it pretty seriously to say the least. He had the belt, he had the vest, he had the sash, he had the cool sheriff-like star that said safety patrol on it. He'd been given this authority by the powers that be at our school, and he brought that authority with him home, or at least he tried. Whenever he saw my little brother and I for a few days do something that he didn't approve of, he would shout at us, Stop in the name of the law! And even though we didn't fully understand what that common phrase meant at the time, we did get that it had some sort of special authority to it, that there was something about it. Some of those same dynamics are going on in our Bible reading for today. The religious law and order of Jesus' day are telling him, Stop in the name of the law! John chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, You know, I did one miracle on the Sabbath, and, and you were amazed, but you, you wanted to shut me down. You criticized it. You, you, you weren't amazed in a positive way. You were amazed in a critical way, in, in, in a way that, that showed that you were offended that I would heal somebody on the Sabbath. But then Jesus points out their hypocrisy in the next verse. But you work on the Sabbath, too, when you obey Moses' law of circumcision. The law of circumcision, according to Mosaic law, was when a Jewish boy was born, eight days later, he'd be circumcised to mark the covenant between God and this Jewish boy. But the religious leaders wouldn't wait until day nine if, if eight days after that Jewish boy was born, it, it was time for his circumcision. If that eighth day fell on a Sabbath, they'd do it on the Sabbath day. They'd do the work of circumcision on the Sabbath day. They'd make an exception to the Sabbath rule to carry out the spirit of the law, which is more important than the letter of the law. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus says, you were not as human beings made for the Sabbath law. The Sabbath law was made as a gift to you so that you would find rest in the midst of your busy work. So if I see somebody who needs healing on the Sabbath day, Jesus is saying, I'm going to heal him. I'm going to do the work of that healing without hesitation because I'm sent into this world to do that. That's the spirit of God's law. But the religious law and order of Jesus' day doesn't understand God's law. And they don't understand the law because they don't understand God. And we know they don't understand God because they're looking face to face with God in human form in the person of Jesus Christ and they don't recognize him. And if they don't recognize him, then they're not going to recognize the right interpretation of God's law. In verse 16, Jesus says, My message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. But you want glory for yourselves. I'm a person who seeks to honor the one, my Father in heaven, who sent me to speak this truth. Moses gave you the law, but none of you really obeys it. You act like you obey it. Stop in the name of the law. But you don't really obey it just because you say it. In fact, you're trying to kill me. And what more evidence do you need that you don't get it? If anything, you should be bowing down to worship me, not trying to kill me and plotting my execution. You should be following me. You should be deferring to me as, as the right interpreter of Mosaic law. It's my law, Jesus could say. But that 
is an example of a bigger point that John's trying to make in these 36 verses for us that leads to a really significant question, the most significant question in John's gospel. What do you believe about Jesus? Not just the religious law and order of his day, not just faces in the crowd, but what about you? Who do you say that Jesus is? For John, there isn't a more important question. So ponder that one today. What do you believe about Jesus? John gives us several examples in these 36 verses. Verse 1, it's, it's the religious law and order who uh, want Jesus to stop in the name of the law, but they're also, they're not just law, they're also order. They're ordering his execution. It says they're plotting his death, verse 1. Verses 3 to 9, we meet Jesus' own brothers. I talked about my brothers earlier in this episode. Jesus had brothers too, and they sort of understood him. Verse 5 says, even his brothers didn't believe in him as the Messiah, but we learn from these verses here in John 7 that they did believe he did miracles. They, they believed he was quite accomplished at that. And they even gave him some, some career advice, brotherly career advice. Jesus, you should take your show on the road. You, you should go down to Jerusalem. You're a big deal in Galilee. But if you're big in Galilee, imagine how big you'd be in the big city of Jerusalem. You'd be the most famous that way. As if Jesus' ultimate goal in life is to be famous, of course, it's way more than that. He didn't come to get famous in this world. He came to save this world. Later on in verses 10 through 15, we meet faces in the crowd who, like the brothers of Jesus, like the religious law and order, don't quite get it. Some say, well, Jesus is a good guy. That's true, he is, but he's way more than that. Others say he's a fraud, he's a deceiver. That, that's not even close. Others say uh, a few verses later in verse 15 that he's a great teacher. And they wonder how he can teach with such authority since he, he has no formal training. <laughs> well, he's God. That's about all the training you need. It's his law that he's interpreting. Then in verse 27, there's another group of people in the crowd who are starting to ask some really good questions. And they're starting to wonder about the identity of Jesus as the potential Messiah. But then they reach the wrong conclusion because they have some false expectations. They say, well, the Messiah, as we understand, it's going to appear out of nowhere. And Jesus comes from Nazareth, so it can't be him. They're so close. They're face to face with Jesus. They can hear him. They can talk to him. They can see him. But that doesn't mean that they aren't going to miss it. Just because, just because we go to church, just because we call ourselves, uh, you know, uh, religious people, just because we read the Bible and know what it says, it really leads to this bigger question. But what do you believe? Not just, not just what committees have you served on at church or, or, or what denomination are you a part of? What do you believe about Jesus? That's the question. And just because we're face to face with this text, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get that. Oh, I hope and pray you get it because it opens all the doors. It changes everything. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Let God's word come all the way in until you can come to that place where you say, I believe. Even if it's the tiniest mustard seed of faith that you believe, it changes everything. It's easy to um, misperceive. It's easy to have false expectations. It's easy to see something face to face and misunderstand it. When I was in high school, uh, we had a pastor in our church named Pastor Ronning, and he was like the Indiana Jones of pastors. He was a missionary in China. He had stories about how the Red Army would, would uh, pursue him with M-16s and how he'd have to flee for his life. 
We just thought, all my friends and I in high school, that was so heroic that he would do this for the sake of the gospel, for telling people who didn't know Jesus about Jesus. One day he came to our high school youth group and he told this story and I'll never forget it. He was sitting face to face with somebody famous, but he, he didn't see it. He was on a train uh, in Europe, a long train ride, hours long train ride, and he was sitting next to his friend and they had just graduated from seminary recently and they were feeling pretty theologically elite, he said. Along comes this frumpy guy, Pastor Ronning said, who ends up sitting in the seat right across from us. It's one of those trains where two seats face this way and another two seats face the opposite way. And so you're kind of just looking face to face at each other for hour after hour after hour. Pastor Ronning said he was a nice enough guy, but he didn't have a very vibrant personality, not very colorful, he thought. Nothing outstanding about him, nothing extraordinary. Oh boy, did he miss it. His friend immediately recognized who this was, but he was too blown away and shy to say anything. Finally, uh, this mysterious uh, man sitting across from them face to face came to his destination. He grabbed his bag, he got up, he, he, he bid farewell, and he departed. As soon as he left, Pastor Ronning's friend turned to Pastor Ronning and says, Don't you know who that was? Pastor Ronning says, I have no idea, but he wasn't very impressive. And Pastor Ronning said, Pastor Ronning's friend said, that was C.S. Lewis, the greatest Christian author of the 20th century, the Chronicles of Narnia author, the, the guy who wrote Mere Christianity and a stack of other Christian books about this high. C.S. Lewis was there and Pastor Ronning had the opportunity of a lifetime to have a conversation with him for hours and he missed it. You're coming face to face with Jesus as we take this tour through John's gospel. Do not miss miss the opportunity to connect with him, to believe in him. What do you believe? Verse 31, John's gospel says, Finally, there were people who says, After all, wouldn't you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? And so they believed in him. Finally, what do you believe? The champagne bottle is starting to shake and the cork's about to pop off and tomorrow Jesus is going to make a really big and exciting announcement in our Bible reading. But for today, as a prelude to that exciting moment, what do you believe? Because God has provided more than enough for us through his word in these first seven chapters. And if you believe, you're going to start to see it. We'll see you tomorrow. Please like, review, and share on whatever platform you're using that helps us get the word out. And join us for weekend worship. You can go to lutheranchurchofhope.org to find out how. We'll see you there. Bye.